So it's my honor, as it is every week, to get to stand before you and share with you. My name is Jamie. I'm the lead pastor here at Ebenezer. And I want to say thank you for being here, each and every one of you. I don't know if you know this, but you look good. Do you know that? You look good. So when you go home today, I want you to find a mirror. And I want you to look at yourself and say, man, I look good. Because you do. And you matter. Do you know that? You matter. You matter so much. That the king of the universe died on the cross for you. He loves you that much. And so I'm honored to be here. If you're joining us online or in the room, thank you so much for being here. And if you visit, if you're a guest, we love it. We are so honored that you'd be here today. On your way out, if it's your first time, second time, third time, tenth time, I don't care what time it is, but if you haven't got a coffee cup yet, please, on your way out today, stop by our welcome desk. Let our team know. We want to know what's going on in your life. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not signing you up for Amway or something like that. We just want to know where you are in life and how we might could come alongside of you and encourage you and help you grow in your faith. And so stop by there today. I want to reiterate that Woodlands Camp is one of the finest camps in northeast Georgia. Uh, All three of my kids have had a chance to go through their summer programs one of my kids got to go back and, and serve is in their SALT program, and another has applied to go through that, which is a, a two-week summer internship where they get to go back and serve. But I'm, let, me tell you, let me brag on my girls and, and what Woodlands meant to us. Woodlands Camp, I believe, helped confirm and instill the desire in my kids for quiet time. Their devotional time has been reinforced by what they experienced at that camp. So parents, I'm just... I'm just trying to help as well to push this, this, this um, event, not event, that's not a good way to say that, to push that your kid go. Sign up and, and let your kids go and experience a great weekend. You would never believe that you drive into downtown Cleveland, take one of the side streets, and you drive up on this beautiful uh, campus that is Woodland. So I want to encourage you to do that. Sign them up. How many of you have the church app? If you have the church app on your smartphone, raise your hand high. I want to see it. I want to say, do you know there's a lot of information that you can access on that app? In fact, there is one on there. If you go to your profile and click in the top right-hand corner, it will tell you your activity. You're like going, what? Yeah, if you check in, if you sign up for an event, it shows you your giving. All of that is on that app. You can access that. And it tells a story because one thing I want you to hear me say today, if I don't say anything else loudly, is this. We want you to grow from an attender to being engaged. Because I believe like what we're going to share today about the gifts of the Spirit, you can only experience when you are engaged in the life of the local church. I don't believe you can experience the gifts of the Spirit in isolation. Why? Because what we're going to find is they were given for the body. And so for someone to claim, well, I can exercise my gift in isolation, I'm sorry, that's not scripturally true because it's given to the body. So let me begin by saying this. Have you ever heard the saying, fool me once, shame on you? Fool me twice, shame on me? Everybody loves a good practical joke, right? Back where I came from, uh, we, had, we had a mannequin. I'm telling you, this is the ugliest thing on the face of the planet. It's a hodgepodge of different mannequin parts. In fact, the head has one blue eye and one brown eye. 
And we used it, uh, they used to use it in Christmas productions as the body of Jesus that they'd lay in the tomb. Well, we took it and had some fun with it. We would put it in people's offices. And, I mean, and the thing is, is that this thing is so real-like, I even, it actually backfired on me. We put it in, in this guy's office and scared him. And so we moved it across the hall to this office we were setting up and put it in the supply closet in a metal chair sitting like a human, crossed its leg and everything. Forgot it was there, and I knew something was in that closet I needed, and I opened that door, and I screamed like an eight-year-old girl because I forgot. In fact, one year, we actually tried. We bought a Buddy Elf costume and put it on him because we were going to have Buddy Elf on the shelf throughout the church. What, y'all don't know Elf on the Shelf? What's better than Buddy Elf on the Shelf? I mean, Elf on the Shelf is Buddy Elf on the Shelf. I mean, it would scare you to death, but I mean, it was... It was good fun, but, you know, when it goes from a practical joke to manipulation, it's not as fun anymore, is it? In fact, there's a, there's a reality of what's called scamming people. Uh, last, uh, last fall, Gallup poll reported, 15% reported in a survey that they knew someone who had been scammed and that 8% of them said it was themselves. One out of 10 Americans last year were scammed in some way, some reason. In fact, they added that the Federal Trade Commission received 2.4 million reports of fraud from Americans last year, of which about 609,000 lost money. So what that means is that about 10% of you in this room maybe have, have had or been a victim of being scammed. But why would you be scammed? Like, what is it about somebody, they call you up and say, uh, yeah, this is, um, this is your bank, and uh, we need your account number because we think someone's taking money out of your account. Well, why would you trust them? Well, one, because they, they present themselves as, as an expert or a person of authority or someone to be trusted. And they end up scamming you and taking your money. Well, unfortunately... This happens in the church world. You turn on the TV, and there's a TV evangelist sitting there telling you and preaching to you and even showing you maybe signs and wonders, and then gives you the, the script at the bottom, well, sign up and give me your money. And it makes me sick to think of the number of elderly people that have sent money to some TV evangelist claiming to be a modern-day apostle. I know, I'm meddling. Last week we talked about Matthew 7, and, ha- and it said in there, you will know a tree by the fruit that it bears. But the context, you back up to verse 15. And it says, beware of false prophets who wear sheep's clothing. You see, the reason he said you need to test and see what kind of tree it is, is because they were positioning themselves in a platform of authority based upon their ability maybe to work some magic. And they were doing so for their own benefit. When you get on down that list and they meet Jesus in heaven, Jesus says, I don't know who you are. Wait a minute. Like we healed people and we cast out demons. Those are some pretty cool things to do, isn't it? But Jesus said, depart depart from me. You You are a worker of sin. I don't know you. And so today we stand in this room and we're like, oh, wait a minute. We've been talking about the Spirit and the person of the Spirit and the mark of the Spirit. And last week we talked about the fruits of the Spirit. 
If the fruits of the Spirit show the evidence of the Spirit in me, then the gifts of the Spirit expresses God's work through me. And the gifts of the Spirit are not something to manipulate for your personal gain. The the gifts of the Spirit isn't something to prove you to be spiritual. The fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, are that which works through you for the edification of the body and the proclamation of the gospel. And so we're going to dig into 1 Corinthians 12. Now here's the truth. I, I wish that I could just blast through 12, 13, and 14 of this, of this book. Because that's what it's addressing. Paul wrote the birth book of Corinthians to address questions that the church was asking. And this is one of those things that kind of slid in to the progress. In chapter 11, we saw where they were abusing the Lord's Supper. That those who were, uh, I guess, thought they were better than others were getting up to the front of the line and eating all the stuff before anybody else could eat it. And it was communion. They were being greedy in the elements that was representing the body, the broken body of Christ and His spilt blood. And they were consuming it for their own gain. And He was saying, well, that's why some of you are sick and dying. And leads into this question about the place of the gifts of the Spirit. Well, some of you in this room, I'm going to assume... You have no idea what I'm talking about. And so this is an introduction. My goal here isn't to be exhaustive in the lists of the gifts, though I will comment on some of those. My goal isn't to tell you which gifts I think work this way and that way. I will comment on that too. What I want to do is to give you the awareness of what it is. And a spiritual gift is the divine enablement of God to do something you cannot do naturally on your own. It enables the believer to effectively serve in the body of Christ. It is not your natural talent. It is not a position of authority or responsibility. It is God working through you for His glory and the benefit of others. And it's not the fruit. The fruit was the evidence that God existed in you changing your nature. Against such there is no law. Remember that? And so what we're going to do now is we're going to dig into this, this, this paragraph to see some, some evidences of what it is that the fruit does, I mean, excuse me, the gifts do in our life. So would you stand with me as we read from verse 1 through verse 11 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It starts by saying this, now considering or concerning spiritual gifts, or some of your Bibles may say spirituality or spiritual people. Brothers, I don't want you to be unaware without knowledge. You know, and this is revelatory knowledge, that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. I'll comment on that in just a minute. I want you to focus on the word mute. Because how do people deceive you with words? In their pagan life, they were following mute idols that could not speak. Well, who was giving them direction? Who was laying out their path? You see the contrast? Verse number three. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That is the test. You want to know the gifts? There it is. If it does not exalt Jesus as Lord, or if it's doing something contrary to his Messiahship, his Lordship, that's how you can tell if it's a gift of the Spirit or not. Sorry, I don't mean to preach while I'm reading, but it's just so good. 
Now, verse 4, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries and the same Lord, which we just realized is Jesus. And there are a variety of effects, but the same God who works in all things, all in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good or, or, or benefit. For to one is given the word of wisdom. Let's, y'all y'all, y'all going to have to play with me a little bit. Through the Spirit. And to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Say same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. Now wait, this is different. And to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Changed it. And to another the effect of miracles. And to another prophecy. And to another the distinguishing of spirits or discernment. To another various kinds of tongues. And to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works in all these things, distributing to each one individually as His will, as He wills. And so, Father, that's the will we're seeking. That you would teach us in this moment the sovereignty of the Spirit in our lives to do your will as we yield to His power in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I'm going to uh, emphasize and bring awareness to the gifts of the Spirit, let me make a few comments before we dig straight into the passage. Number one, each believer that has been filled and marked with the Spirit has a gift or gifts. That's what the Bible just said. You have a gift or gifts. Where do they come from? The sovereign Spirit that's inside of you, working within you. Number two, the gifts only function in the unity of the body because that's its purpose. We only see the gifts expressed within the context of the local church. And so I'm going to hit this again and again and again. But God is calling you to do more than just attend church. He wants you to be engaged in church. He wants you to find your gift, employ your gift, be connected in a group, serve within the body. Because if you don't, Satan will pick you off. You are susceptible when you live on the fringe. Now, there's a lot of reasons why we live on the fringe. What I'm pointing to is the direct evidence of Scripture that if you want to find your gift, you won't find it outside these walls. Now, now wait a minute, wait a minute. What would you say? Well, I have the gift of evangelism. Well, yeah, you're employing that outside of the walls from the context of the local church. We're against biblical heresy, false teaching. When you put yourself out there as a solo artist, you will be picked off or you will begin to teach the same heresy. Can I preach on that for a little while? As sin can quench the spirit, so sin will quench your exercise of your gift. In fact, it will cause atrophy. If your gift is waning, the first thing you need to ask, is there sin in my life? Because as I exercise my gift, God may give you more gifts. As you are proving yourself faithful, God's going to put more on you because you've been faithful. God's got work to do. As we've been studying in our, in our study of Revelation, there was one church, he said, your works aren't complete. God has a goal for our works to be complete, not done half-heartedly or half-done. Oh man, I'm sorry. A talent is not a gift. All right, let me break your brains now. I have not read in Scripture anywhere where the ability to play a piano is a spiritual gift. 
It's just one of those points. Come prove me wrong, please. But you can play the piano and not be a spiritual person. You can teach the Bible and not be a spiritual person. Are you with me? But when you are a believer, when you are filled with the Spirit of God, what you speak for, what you do comes with God's fruit. Are you with me? And so just because you have a talent, and some of you in here, I'm telling you, somebody in here is the smartest person in the room. I want to meet you because I want to learn from you. But just because you're the smartest person in the room does not mean that you're closer to God. These gifts are supernatural. Say supernatural. That means it's beyond what I can do. That's why if you're in here and you're the shyest person in the room, God can use you as a preacher. And I'm telling you what, I've seen some powerful preaching from people who couldn't carry on a two-sentence conversation face-to-face. Because God can work in any vessel as God wills. Are you with me? I could just close up after this, after this next one here. The point of the gift is to unify and mature the body. Ephesians chapter 4 is clear. That there are positions in the body, the expression of our gifts, so that the body can mature, and we can only mature as we are unified in our faith. I need you, and you need me. Because that's God's design of the body, which means you cannot exercise these gifts in a silo. So, I want you to, I want you to go to your study guide. i got four points about the gifts today. First one says this. We need to discern and test the spirits. You thought I was going to dive right in here and start talking about what these gifts mean. But before you get to that point, and the reason I brought up being scammed is because a lot of us are being scammed. I served under a pastor who would stand in the pulpit and tell us, don't touch God's anointed. It's called spiritual abuse. My position does not give me power over you. I want to follow John the Baptist's philosophy. That is, I decrease Christ increases because if i'm employing my gift it's for the benefit the mutual benefit of the body not for myself look at verse number one it says now concerning spiritual gifts understand that this topic has arisen because paul is addressing the body's worship they just talked about lord's supper now they're looking at the functions and in this context there are people in the church that because they have a certain gift think they're better than others Specifically the speaking of tongues, which is why when it says mute, idle, it's important. They thought because they could speak in tongues, it made them better than the other Christians. But in their former life, they were following idols that couldn't say a word. Are you with me? And so he's going to, from from chapter 12, he's going to talk about the economy of the gifts, being in one body to chapter 13, to reveal the true motivation for our exercise of the gift, which is love. If the Holy Spirit is making me holy, right? God's living inside of me. Guess what else should be coming out of my life? Love. Then he gets to 14 and he gets right in their stuff and saying, you know what? Some of you guys, you're saying in here, you could speak in tongues, but you can't speak 10 intelligible words that someone can process. And you know who's being edified? You are. And so he's saying, don't exercise the gift so it points the fingers back at you. It should point the fingers back at other people. And if it's not serving the body so that they're maturing, it is ineffective. And so he goes on to say, you know that you were imperfect pagans. (laughs) 
They were. In, in, the, in an imperfect tense of their past life, they were continually following these idols like they were marching in a parade, mindless. He says, therefore, I make known to you. Did you notice the three times he's used the word no? He said, you don't know. I'm, I'm going to make you know. He's, he's building this progress because they're ignorant about spirituality. He says, no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. Why would, why would that be ca- the case? Because if the Spirit of God lives in you, remember the person of the Holy Spirit bears witness to the person of Christ. The Spirit of God would never lead you to say that. In fact, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says this. He says, beloved, excuse me, 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God or not. It's very clear. We need to test and discern the spirits because there are spirits. We know from the demonic realm, even looking at what Job, what happened to Job, that Satan can manifest himself miraculously in this world. He has a horde of demons that would love nothing less than to steal, kill, and destroy your life. But thank God that he had this plan. That he would unify us together by his spirit. And that when we're unified, as it says in Acts chapter 2, they were in the upper room in one mind and one accord and powerful things came about. Don't you want to live in that power? Don't you want to live in the way that God wants us to live and to see miraculous things happen that I can't make happen on my own? Then I need to step into that power and allow God to move and to work. Paul wanted them to know what makes them spiritual, and that is the Holy Spirit. But what are the two things that would work against that? Well, the first one is you. Your flesh and your lust and your pride. In fact, if you go back to 3.1 in 1 Corinthians, he says, And brothers, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as infants. Why? Because they weren't growing in the Word. Laura and I were talking about this the other day. You know, I've, I've given you the formula. I know I'm saved because Jesus promised, right? And when I'm saved, he gives me the Spirit, right? That's the free gift. But then we were talking about, well, how do you know the ongoing evidence that I've been saved? Well, I think there's two. The fruit of repentance... And the fruit of growth in the Word. If those two things are not being evident in my life, then I really do need to go back and question, Lord, have I been saved? Is the Spirit at work in my life? And the thing that works against it is my desire for all that is in the world, as John says. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, they're not from the Father, but from the world. And if my idea is to find a gift... Of the Spirit, so that I can show everybody else how awesome I am. I've missed the mark. The other thing that's working against you is the demonic. You go on into 1 John 4 1 through 3, he says, By this you know the Spirit of God when you're testing them. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is from God, this is the Spirit of Antichrist. I didn't know we were going to talk about that kind of stuff, did you? But you need to be aware of it. Because if I'm going to pursue the gifts of the Spirit, I need to know what's working against that. Those spirits of Antichrist of which you have heard that is coming and is already in the world. Let me show you three things about the Antichrist. The marks of the Antichrist deny the work of Christ and elevate the works of the flesh. So when you ask somebody, well, how do you know you're saved? 
man, I go to church and I give 12% of my income and I study my Bible. No, that's your works. You're elevating your works. If anybody asks you, how do you know you're saved and you don't point it to a bloody red, red cross, you've missed the mark. It's about the crucifixion, the Savior who died in your place. And by God's grace and mercy, that's the only reason you and I are saved. Are you with me? Because I could stand up here and we, I mean, like Paul said, I mean, I could tell, oh, wait a minute, we're going we're gonna to put it on the table. Let's put it on the table. He said, I'm a Benjamite, circumcised on the eighth day, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had the evidence, but he didn't have the Spirit until Jesus appeared to him, condemned him in what he was doing, and he repented and accepted Jesus. That's when his life changed. And he said, all I want to know is Jesus and him crucified. The other spark of the Antichrist is the denial of the importance of the unity of Christ's body. I believe it is heretical. And you just believe I believe it. For somebody to tell you that you can go home and have church by yourself and you don't need another believer in your life. But sit in your home and listen to me online and send me your money. No. That's heresy. That man is sitting there taking your money for his benefit... Because if he was really thinking about you, he would be telling you, get in your church, get engaged, and watch what God can do. Remember we talked about tithing? We said test and see what God would do if you'd give him your money. I want you to test and see what God would do in your life if you would be engaged deeper in the body of Christ and see what can happen. The third one is this. The mark of the Antichrist seeks personal elevation. It seeks personal elevation. You matter. You matter to God. He died for you. And you matter in God's plan because He has something He needs you to do. The beautiful thing about leading in church is watching people discover how God has designed them for ministry. There's a friend of mine who, um, who kind of epitomizes this. I ran into him at a funeral not too long ago. When I, when I was in church with him, to his own confession, he he was just kind of hit or miss, but later he told me, he said, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you. He said, on Saturday night, I was at a bar every weekend, and I came in just sober enough to come to church. But God got a hold of him and saved him. And so I saw him, and we hadn't seen each other in about two or three years, and we're talking. He said, man, you won't believe what I'm doing. I said, what are you doing? He said, man, I'm working in children's ministry now. And he said, can you imagine me, bald-headed me, in there doing this with the kids and doing all these, these things. He said, I love the kids. And we saw this kid get saved. And he's just like spewing this joy that was so contagious. Why? Because he found his fit. And he stopped living according to what the world was pulling him to do. So second point here is that we need to delight in the unity of the diversity of gifts. That doesn't make sense to say you delight in the unity of diversity. But if everyone in this room had the same gift, we'd be boring. You know why you and your wife or you and your husband seem like you're total polar opposites? Because you can get more done that way. There are things I can tell you, I, I bet it drives Laura crazy. She sees things that I can't see. She's concerned about things. It's not that I'm not concerned, I just don't think about them. But in our economy of our household, there are strengths that she brings to the table that makes our household function. And I hope there's strengths I bring to the table that makes our household function. More of her than me. Because God really blessed me with a great wife. 
But I'm telling you, my kids are the benefits of that. They get to see the benefits of that. And as a body, that's why he was saying in here, it is for the benefit, the mutual benefit of the body. Now, I want you to dig into this. Verse number four, he says, now there are a variety of gifts. That word is charisma, grace gifts. God, through his grace, has enabled you. You didn't earn it. You can't earn a gift. He gave it to you, but the same spirit. Now, I want you to watch the Trinitarian picture in these three verses. Because then he says, and there are a variety of ministries. It's the same word we get, deacon. You see, you take your gift and then you employ it in serving, not exaltation, but it's from the same Lord, which from verse 3 we realized is Jesus. Then listen to this last one. He says, but there's a variety of effects. Because for something to happen supernaturally, you need some energy, and that's that word. That when you are, you find your gift, you set it into motion, you're doing it for the benefit of somebody else, and God's giving you the strength and the energy to make that happen, who gets the glory? God does. Who's supplying the need? God does. So in our insecurity, a lot of times we'll just say, God, I'm not good enough. I can't do that. Take your can't and turn it to a can. If we believe that God, the sovereign God of this universe, has the power to speak creation into existence, then I can believe God can take little old me and do some things I could never imagine. Now, I don't want that to be a humanistic view that things revolve around me. We ought to be the conduit of God's power working through us to affect other people. At the end of the day, we need to delight in these differences, delighting in what each person brings to the table. This way, we present a unified front, and it enables us to present the gospel. Jesus prayed in John 17, make them one as we are one. Are you with me? He also said in John 13, love one another as I have loved you. So here's the application. If I can't love one another, then I discredit myself to be able to tell the world about a unified God. In fact, it says when I'm absent, when I hold my gift back, it actually hurts others. There is an inclusive sense of success when we mature together. I can't mature if you're not maturing, and you can't mature if I'm not maturing. We, God has put the pieces in the body, as we read in chapter 12, as he sees fit. But when I'm absent, when I'm disengaged, then the body is not as effective as it could be. Why? Because that's what God willed. It's what God has intended. Your presence makes a difference. Your church engagement is vital. Because even the smallest piece, he goes on down through this text. He talks about in 1220 that we're one body with many members. And if we're Christ's body, even though we're individual, we're corporate in 1227. And then in 1221, he talks about the parts of the body and says, he stresses that the eye needs the hand and the head needs the feet. And they all work together. But if something is missing... The body of Christ is rendered ineffective in the local context. Back at Christmas time, I bought two zero-gravity chairs. Y'all know know what a zero-gravity chair is? It's a camping chair. It's the only camping chair I've ever fallen asleep in. I'm like, i got to have one of these. So they were on sale, and I bought two, and, and we opened them up at Christmas, and we set them out. Well, about a week or so ago, my son noticed a bolt laying in the floor. In fact, it's a very important bolt. It's the bolt that holds the leg part to the arm part. And what had happened was a very small nut 
had, had just sheared off. It was gone. But because of that, every time you tried to push the leg out, the arm came apart. Well, I, I can't use it. So I called the company, and they were like, well, we don't give parts for that. You're going to have to return it? I'm like, come on. If I return it, then you're going to make me pay, pay full price for another? No, I ain't doing that. So I'm sitting here going, do I return it, or do I try to fix it? All because of one small part missing. The entire chair is ineffective. Church, you matter. When you stand in that, in, at that window, a mirror today and you say, man, I'm pretty. Also look in that mirror and say, I matter. Because your, your, your absence will hurt when you're not here. Point number three. Discover how your gift benefits the whole body. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The common benefit. Let me read it this way. To each one, the operation which manifests the Spirit in public is given for common advantage. In other words, it's not private. It's not something hidden. It's to be public. And so if you read down through this listing, you'll see a whole lot of different things. You'll see a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, affecting of miracles. In other words, you can't do the miracles. If you have the gift of healing, what are you doing in this room? You need to be at the hospital. But I'm going to be honest with you, and I don't care who this offends. Maybe, maybe there might be a TV evangelist listening to me today. If you're a TV evangelist claiming that you have the gift of healing, you need to get off air and go to the hospital. Because you're doing that for your own glorification, not the glorification of God. There's people sick and dying in a hospital, and you're doing it as a public display so people send you money. I'm sorry. I just think that's abuse of the body. And so I think you, you keep going on down through here, and he talks about prophecy and distinguishing of spirits and tongues and interpretation of tongues. I believe that tongues is a missional, has missional purpose. Because if you go back to Acts chapter 2, they were speaking, but the hearers were all hearing it in their own language. The miracle was on the hearer, not the speaker. The speaking of tongues confirmed, as Joel promised, that the Spirit had come. And the reason the apostles worked miracles that we can't work was con- to confirm their eyewitness of Christ. So here's another one. Let me just keep meddling. I just opened up a Pandora's box here. If anybody calls themselves an apostle, an apostle is a sent one. But what we're seeing in churches today is modern-day apostles who are positioning themselves as the divine authority, which is no different than a pope in the Catholic Church. And they're operating the same way, and they're deceiving people the same way. Touch not God's anointed. Do y'all know where that's from? Let me tell you, you don't want to use that phrase as a descriptor. David was hiding in a cave... When King Saul was using the bathroom. The kids are all smiling now. This is not potty jokes. But it is kind of funny because he was, as the Bible says, relieving himself. And David's Bim's like, you got your opportunity. Go kill him now. And he could have killed him. But David, in respect of his office, said, touch not God's anointed, even though he had already been anointed to be king. So y'all remember what he did? He just went over there and cut the the edge of his garment off. And he goes, woo look at this. He let Saul know, I could have killed you. But we have false teachers in the church 
claiming to be modern day apostles and it's heretical. We need, if, we're, if we have any ministry of apostleship, it's to go. It's to be sent. But no one in this room was an eyewitness of the risen Jesus except those early ones. And so in your study guide, I, I listed some more passages. Romans, 4, or Romans 12, 4 through 8. Ephesians 11, 4, 11 through 13. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. Let me just read through those to give you kind of a list of what the gifts look like. In Romans, we get prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, mercy. In Ephesians 4, we get positions of responsibility, but the gifts still working. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teaching. And then in 1 Peter, we get two. I think, I love these two. This is a great summary. Whoever speaks, speaking as if they're speaking the utterances of God, and those who serve as serving with the strength which God provides. That's a beautiful picture. Guys, y'all know when I stand up here, I'm scared to death. When I go home, my wife can attribute, I spend hours going, did I say that right? Did I mess this up? Because it bothers me if I misspeak. It bothers me if, if I'm scattered. It bothers me if I don't present God in the way I should present it. And I should be. Because we're dealing with eternity. We're dealing with lost people. And if I'm not finding my place, if I'm not discerning the spirits, all right? If I'm not considering that this is for the benefit of the body, delighting in the gifts, and finding out what my gift is, then the body is impotent and cannot do what it, all it is intended to do. And honestly, that should scare me. Maybe you're not the one sharing your faith. And that's okay, even though we're all called to share our faith. And he's talking about being gifted in, in, in being able to have faith and to have mercy. But I think we're all supposed to have mercy, aren't we? When you think about it in the context of supernatural, though, that's different. So how do you find your gift? I hate gift tests. I think the word test is misleading. Because people think it's deterministic. I take this test and that tells me, oh, these are my five gifts. But then you read the test and it's like, I like to stand in front of people. What has that got to do with a spiritual gift? Nothing. But an assessment might help point you in the right direction. There's only one way you're going to be able to find your gift. is to get in there and do it. So you jump in there and you, maybe you sign up to teach third grade. And you get in there and you realize, I don't have the gift to teach. But that doesn't mean you don't have the gift to, to, to organize Maybe instead of being the one who's teaching the lesson, you're the one putting the lesson together. Do you ever think about that? Maybe, maybe you're the one who's running the copies on Thursday for the teacher who's going to be teaching the lesson on Sunday. Wait a minute, that's the body working together, and who gets the benefit of it? Little seven-year-old Susie, who's asking mom and dad questions about the gospel. Are you with me? Come on. And you think about, oh my gosh, next Friday night, February the 9th, when 300 volunteers show up on this campus to show us, to, to love on the 90 friends that have signed up to come to Night to Shine, I am excited. And you, we get to see when we've done Journey to the Cross and, uh, and all the things we do, VBS, you get to see the beauty. And every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night, we get to see the same beauty as the body of Jesus comes together. Why? So that we can mature in our faith glorify God and the gospel be preached. So that last point there is I need to determine to keep the focus of the will on the Holy Spirit. He has a will, remember, it's to sanctify you and me, which means set us apart and get us ready. 
If the public manifestation and application will bring unity, as we seek to help others know Christ, we will grow. Otherwise, we make ourselves susceptible to abuse. He says in verse 11, But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he will. So who determines your gift? The sovereign Holy Spirit. Just as God is sovereign, so is the Spirit of God sovereign. As I employ my gift, as I employ it and I exercise that gift, God may give me more gifts. He may increase that gift. But again, what's the purpose? To unify the body and to mature believers. He goes on in verse 12. We didn't read that earlier, but this is what he said. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all are members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Remember, he said a minute ago, there are different and varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of serving, but the same Lord. Varieties of energy, but the same God. As our God is one God in three persons, and each one of those three persons are unique, so in this room, each one of you are unique, created in God, in Christ, for good works. And you and I need to discover what that lane is and get in that lane, put on the cruise control, and let's go trucking. Because that's what God wants for you and, us, you and I to do. We must learn to embrace each one as our body. I, don't, I, I know it sounds like I'm shaming you when I talk about attending. It's not what I'm talking about. I want you here at whatever level you are. What I'm challenging you to do is to be engaged. To be engaged. To find ways to serve in the body and in our community. To find ways to connect in a group. To find ways to grow in your faith. Whatever that looks like. But, but to simply attend will not stretch you where you need to be. What we need to do is like Timothy told Paul. Paul told Timothy, he said, I need you to fan your gift into flame. My grandfather, I mean, my father-in-law is the best fire builder on the face of this planet. He uses acetone. <laughs> but I'm telling you, this man, I mean, like he'll take stain rags and throw it into his wood stove. And you're just kind of like taking that match and flicking it because that thing's going, I mean, it just. But I remember we were building a fire one time and, and um, it, it wasn't getting, go, it wasn't going well. And he said, well, we got to fan it. Now, I could have gone in the house and got a little funeral home fan and went out there and done this. No, he goes inside and gets a four-by-eight sheet of cardboard. And he comes out there. I mean, he is going back and forth, back and forth. And I mean, that thing goes... And all of a sudden, this thing's got flames six feet tall. Why? He wasn't just gingerly trying to fan it into flame. I mean, he was putting every effort he had to fan it into flame. And folks, that's what happens when the Spirit of God begins to get a hold of your life, getting you in the lane that He needs you, fanning your gift into flame for the benefit of the body of Christ and the people around us that are lost. We we must learn to excel in the practice of our life change. If I'm claiming that Christ has changed me, then let that change live through me. So here's what I want to challenge you. I want you to stand with me. And, and I'm, I'm going to pray for you. And when we're done praying, I don't, I don't want you to leave because we're, we're actually praying two prayers. But we've got to do something between prayer one and prayer two. I want you to bow your head. Because some of you, you're like, you know what? I know what I'm gifted to do. I'm employing it. And thank God. But some of you are going, I just don't know what it is. 
Hey, listen, God doesn't want to make it rocket science. He doesn't want it to be confusing because as we read in the 14th chapter, God is not the author of confusion. Satan is. And what Satan will whisper to you to say, well, you don't know your gift. You're not employing it. They probably don't want you around. That's not true either. We want to help you find. Just like, a, like your, your kid when, they, when they were, you're standing behind them and they're pedaling that bike and you're holding the seat and they're going and going and going and you let go of that seat and they turn around and realize you ain't holding it anymore. That's what I see our role being is we get to see you discover what your gifts are and employ it. But what is that? What is that today? Would, would you let me pray over you that God would help you find whatever gift it is and then find a lane to that? We've got tools. We've got the app. We've got the website to help you know what a next step is. But I want you to find what it is God has for you. Father, in Jesus' name, as we get ready in just a few minutes to, to go our separate ways, Lord, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. Let not shame dominate our heart. Lord, I'm, I'm challenging them to be stretched, to be engaged, not simply in a tender And so, Lord, I pray that they can find that connection. Lord, we believe as a church, you have called us to help others connect. And we do that by sharing our lives. What better way to share our lives than when we employ that gift? And we're going to help this world know the hope of Christ. We do that through serving. So, Lord, I pray that you would help them find whatever that is. Don't let them be afraid to try new things. Lord, give them the strength to step out, that faith step that might lead them down a path that would be so life-changing. Lord, I do pray at the same time, God, give us discernment. There are so many deceptive voices out there that parade like angels of light. But that's exactly what Satan does well. He tempts us and he deceives us. Lord, let us not be deceived. I know I was kind of harsh and hard on TV evangelists, and I don't mean that every TV evangelist is bad. You know that, Lord. You know their heart, and we don't. What we don't want to see is people deceived and abused. And so, Lord, I pray that you speak in our hearts and give us that ability to test the Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.